Welcome to Tool World. We're your hosts. I'm Gordon Ju. And I'm David Ju. And we're here to discuss everything about ITF patterns. If you're interested in learning more, make sure to like the podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Tool World. This is David Ju. And I'm actually here accompanied with three guests today. We have Master Gordon Ju, Ms. Gatowski, and Mr. Johnson. How's it going, David? Hello. 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 It's good. It's good. <laughs> so, um, so we have a panel a today. Introduction of everybody. Yeah. Well, everyone knows me, right? I don't need an introduction, yeah. do I? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name is uh, John Johnson. I am a professor at Gameyang University in Daegu, South Korea. I teach in the Department of Taekwondo. I'm the first and only ITF uh, practitioner that's a professor in the Department of Taekwondo in South Korea. My my research focuses are on Taekwondo international relations, uh, philosophy, and pedagogy. So that's me in a nutshell. Very cool. <laughs> How about Ms. Kotowski? Yes, I am Carrie Kotowski um, here in St. Louis, Missouri. My day job is interior designer for Washington University in St. Louis. And my passion and full-time hobby, I guess you would say, is uh, martial arts. And I've been in Taekwondo for a little over uh, 20 years now. So Awesome. So, Mr. Johnson, you are a professor at a university. Mm-hmm. Do you do it like a dojong where yes, sir. you you teach um, the patterns and step sparring and all that stuff? Or is it more of a classroom setting? I do both theoretical and practical courses. My theoretical courses are taught in a more of a traditional classroom with desks and overhead computers and uh, lecture-based. I do teach some practical classes uh, unfortunately, they will not allow me uh, thus far. I'm still, I haven't given up, of course. Uh, I, they haven't allowed me to establish an ITF student club. I, I, I teach a group of students, but I don't teach them in an official capacity. It's more just like a bunch of people getting together and uh, practicing Taekwondo. The classes, the practical classes that I teach are more kind of generic. Uh, I teach one course called Oriental Martial Arts, where I do get to incorporate anything that I want. So I teach it more from a Hapkido base, but I do teach uh, ITF step sparring uh, and other other physical components. Oh, okay. That's very cool. So what are we talking about today, David? Or I guess uh, our yeah, guests could... can also ask a couple of questions, I think, if they were interested. Right. Please. Oh, is it my turn? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it's our okay. turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so, well, for the last week, we kind of talked about the meaning on Juche and Kodong, and we kind of delved into that. So I think this week we're starting our first couple of segments on specific techniques within um, Kodong. So I thought maybe we could uh, touch on the parallel block and perhaps maybe that um, flying reverse offensive hook kick or flying reverse turning kick. I, I do have a question on maybe how you're doing it in Korea on that particular technique, Mr. Johnson. Just before we get started, uh, did you get a chance to listen to our podcast last week on Kodong and the 
and Juche about the meaning? I did not, unfortunately. Okay. No problem, no problem. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about the change in, in the name and maybe mm -hmm. how the name came about. And I know mm -hmm. it can be kind of a touchy subject, especially with um, maybe North and South Korea, I, I guess. I'm not sure. Mm. Oh, yes. You know, for, <laughs> from, our from my point of view anyway, because we, you know, we're kind of remote or we're not really involved in that political scene, I guess. Mm -hmm. I just think of it more of um, people, history, those kind of things, and mm -hmm. maybe what the meanings are. And we won't have to go into with that, about that. So, but if people mm -hmm. are interested, yeah, sit, um, hit us up with a message and tell us how, what you think, <laughs> whether it's you're right yes. on or <laughs> you're not on or whatever, doesn't matter. So this parallel block, how do you guys do that one? Or what's your, um, what's your uh, thoughts on that pr particular block? Ms. Kokowski, ladies first, please. The parallel block. So there, uh, there's uh, two parallel blocks in Kodong. So we, we call it Kodong. Mm -hmm. The one is with the inner forum, and the other one is with the outer forum. Outer, right? So you're talking about the, the first one. That's right. So the movement one. The first movement, right? So that, yeah. So like the, the elbows are kind of parallel with the shoulder to be blocking, like kick or punch. I guess you're, you're blocking two techniques, is what I yes, believe, right? Yes. Yes. As you gather your thoughts, do you mind if I jump sure. in, ma'am? Yes, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. Go ahead. For me, this is a very complicated block to think about when we consider um, how we're supposed to move. The, the reason why I consider it complicated is because of the directionality. We're stepping outward to the side. It's a very difficult block for me to really get the, the hips and the kinetic chain motion, you know, from the foot to the hips, to the shoulder, into the blocks. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to use sine wave to generate power. So for me, this is a block that it's more, it's not necessarily a a block where we develop a huge amounts of power, but it's it's not also a deflecting block. This is a complicated block, to be perfectly honest mm -hmm. with you. <laughs> yeah. So what I kind of find interesting about um, this particular block is that it lines up with the shoulder line. So mm -hmm. in many yes, ways, it's like a side block. So when mm -hmm. you look at the photograph and you look at straight on, well, so a photograph obviously is um, only one-dimensional and you don't get to see the you know the full picture but if you look at it straight front it could look like a side block in the full facing position like in yes, sir. Mm -hmm. like in warong right in warong you you have a high side block with the inner form as well as a low side block with the outer form on the photograph you look at it you see this hand up by the eyes and the other hand down and in this case with um kodong you have both hands up so it could look like a side block so yes, what sir. makes it a parallel block versus a side block so this is where i see a lot of people make mistakes in the particular pattern is that when they do kodong many students do it like a side block because the arm is out mm -hmm. actually extended like a 45 degree angle where it's not actually parallel straight up and down and that's what makes mm -hmm. it a parallel mm -hmm. block does that make sense and absolutely so, and so the the parallel block with the inner form is generally used for two two attacks, maybe 
uh, turning kick from the left side or knife hand strike from the right side, but it's generally used for two attacks, two people attacking at the same time. The application pictures for both the parallel block with the inner forearm and outer forearm are, are showing two people. Yes, sir. Right. The one thing for me that I would like to ask you, sir, is how much uh, is the, I know we're sitting. I know it's in a sitting stance, and I know that there's technically not a dominant hand. Right. But would you say, especially in movement one, when we step out um, to the left, is that, would you say the left hand would be dominant or slightly stronger because of the sine wave and directionality, uh, direction of motion? I think it's actually the same. And so I think it's more yes, like, like in Do-san, when you use a wedging block. Sometimes students, when they do the wedging block, is they, they actually turn, and it's almost like that first one is that they almost turn, and so they're blocking with the left arm, and the right arm is not really doing much of the blocking. Yes, sir. Students actually have to turn first, and so now they move forward, and mm. both arms are moving. I think that in, in Kodong, that they're simultaneously, even though you're moving to the left, it's really at the mo moment when you set that foot down or when you drop that weight or the foot on the ground that they actually block at the same time. I see. Yes, sir. This, all of this is all theoretical. I, that's the way I always look at mm -hmm. it, right? And so, I mean, what are the <laughs> yes, probability <sir. laughs> that two people are attacking you at the same time? It's possible, <laughs> but <laughs> what is the probability that that's going to happen? So I think from a, set, a oh, theoretical yeah. point of view, that's my opinion on that. So much of what we learn in uh, these two-handed techniques, it, it is very theoretical. And one, one concept or one way of viewing tool is the, the study of uh, kinesiology, the study of human motion, how we are able to develop power using the sine wave that uh, General Che taught you know, with the ultimate goal of creating maximum power. So for me, I would not personally see this as a uh, functional block. Uh, every time I've ever done two, three, four-on-one sparring, I have never had the opportunity to, to do a parallel type block, especially in a sitting stance or near sitting stance position. Right. So... so you know, so would you also that would also be kind of the same with a W shape block? Oh yes. In yep. W shape block, there is a primary block, and that's the one that you uh -huh. move forward. The other one is a secondary yes. block, kind of like um, mm -hmm. twin mm -hmm. outer form block or twin knife hand blocks, where the mid side yes, block, the one in front, is the primary block, with the other one being secondary. Yes, sir. I say it is interesting though the um, the loads though you know because one we have to put one arm under the other and then even in the cyclopedia too I, moving to the left that the left is underneath uh just as you know again talking about kinesiology and, and the way the body works um and then you're moving moving to the left but not saying that there is a dominant hand and speaking of the loads with these two blocks the, um, the so parallel block so do you think that that let's say that first one where you move into your left do you think that 
the majority of your power or the block is the, with the left arm? It seems to me more of like a natural, the natural movement. And what um, about the you know, just parallel like an, block with the outer form? Is it the one that you're moving towards that direction? Let's see, the parallel, those both load that, and out. They just twist, they, twist out. They both out, go straight right? forward, right? They don't, they no, they don't yes. cross. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you're in a one-leg stance. So it's a little different, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sure. Well, anyways, interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. Any for, comments there, David? Me, no. No. Looks like you guys kind of covered it. He's, nope. <laughs> he's taking a back seat on it again. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Mr. Johnson. Sorry about that. No, no problem, sir. The speaking of the loads, it's very for me when we consider the loading or the chambering, however, whatever terminology you want to use, it's always about the direction that you're going in. And so, as as you just said, ma'am, we are stepping to the left, and so the left hand is underneath. And when I teach, what I teach is I, I focus on not necessarily the, the motion, if you will, but I try to get people to move their minds out of their head and focus on the, the area of the body called, in Korean, uh, danjun, in Chinese, uh, dantian. And that is the, the, the center of gravity, if you will. It's about, if you take about three, two or three inches below the navel and then go about two or three inches into the body, what I try to get people to do is feel how that is moving. And then in my mind, at least, I consider it like water and the energy moving from that part of the body to the blocking or striking tool. If, if we look hmm. at the encyclopedia and speaking of that loading hand then that is that block is moving toward something and so the natural sine wave motion and the the trajectory of the the motion you know to me that and that's what i was curious about uh, master jew is if that makes the left hand a little bit more dominant not saying that the right hand is any less important, but just maybe the left hand in the first step, in the first movement, has more power, if you will, because well, of that direction. Yeah, no, absolutely, because um, power is generated when you move forward. Without yes, even, I mean, just the mere fact that you're moving in a certain direction, there's going to be some kind of power in that way. It's not the opposite. Mm -hmm. The other hand is more of an opposite movement. But yeah, no, I, I think yes, there's a point there. Just to kind of balance that, uh, in movement number four, in the parallel block with the outer forearm, mm -hmm. the motion is going forward. The That's right. You know, there's no cross-chambering. It's, it's moving forward because, because of what the blocking tool is. For me, when I, when I practice and when I teach, I'm always trying to get people to feel where that balance is, their, their, the danjun, and how to push that into the technique. Yeah, that's something to think about. With the outer form, you, you are still moving, so you're still moving slightly to your left. So what you're saying is that energy is still moving to the left as well. So your, yes. power, your, power, your power arm, I guess, 
would be on the left arm mm -hmm. because you're moving left and forward. You're moving left and forward. That's what you're doing. Yes, sir. I, yeah, the, that's the, the parallel block uh, with the outer form is it's very interesting because of the, the one-legged stance. You don't get as much uh, sine wave motion with it. Right. And you don't go up on the and ball so, of your foot and then down because you're already down in a position. <laughs> you're the master, sir. I'll trust you. <laughs> no down, up, down. Well, I mean, if you think about like um, wadrong, right? When you go from the elbow, side elbow thrust and then you swing around. So I have some students that ask or they do it when they, when they spin around to do the high side block and the low side block. They actually get up really high on the ball of the foot and then they place the foot down and perform the technique. Mm. And I always say it's not really like that. It's because you're pivoting, it's not that dramatic up on the ball of the foot. So you're just kind of like spinning on the foot, on the ball of the foot. Yes. Sir. And the second technique, you do go up on the ball of the foot for the sine wave because your legs are locked out. And that makes... Uh, to me, your your explanation is very much uh, about natural motion. It's um, you're describing more of a natural versus the, uh, a forced or contrived motion. That's definitely how I practice. The other technique I was um, wanting to maybe ask you is number um, thirty four. You're jumping backwards. Do you do it as a flying reverse offensive hook kick or a flying reverse turning kick? I am under Master Susan Crochet in the Phoenix group, and we are with uh, President uh, Che Junghua. So last I heard, we are supposed to be doing this as a uh, reverse, uh, a dodging reverse hook kick. Right. So and that's, that's, actually, that's how I... Uh, yeah. And that's, I'm sorry, sir? Yeah, that, and that's how it's described on the ITF website, is a flying yes, reverse offense. I know they say reverse. Mm -hmm. I always say reverse offensive hook kick. Um, and I think uh, the defense is, uh, is called hooking kick. Mm. So yes, it's, yes, when you're doing you're right. the attack, it's, I think it's called hook kick. And defensive is hooking kick. So they never mm, say, yes, in the, in the mm. encyclopedia, they don't say offense or defense. But students get confused. Which one is that again? Yes, sir. I get confused. That's why I always say defensive and hook <laughs> an offensive hook kick. <laughs> so you do it um, with the flying reverse offensive hook kick. Yes, sir. Right. So I think um, that kind of started. When's that change? When did that change start? Maybe two thousand seven. Actually, I was I was doing a little research for this, and the official notice was June twenty fourth. 2008. 2008, yeah. I thought it was around yes, that sir. time. 2008. And I think some of the world championships, um, they accepted either or. Re flying reverse mm. offensive hook kick or a flying reverse turning kick. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, that date, I, I was incorrect. That's when um, President Che changed the name to, uh, from Chu Che to Koda. Right. Uh, as far as the jumps... Uh, as far as this technique is concerned, I'm not sure when that change was incorporated. Well, I don't know if it was, mm. yeah, officially. I just remember the, in the world championships, they were accepting either or, depending on how. David, That's do you have to? people hold up there and keep the 
kick there while they land. Yeah, right? I think a lot of what the I think a lot of the North Koreans did it that way, right? They jump up, they would land, and then they would do the kick and hold it out there, right? And that's not mm-hmm. really the way it should be performed. You should perform mm-hmm. it in in the air, but you can't hold, you can't pose that leg. You can't pose Correct. the flying reverse turning kick. And, um, <laughs> well, I guess you could pose in land. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's what's difficult about it. I, I've since I've lived in Korea for the last twenty one years, uh, I I really approach this from two different mind fr- uh, mindsets or worldviews, if you will. In the West, we are very much we want to analyze every aspect uh, how how far we jump how high we jump the the twisting of the hips the twisting of the shoulders and again i just go back to trying to get people to feel the technique not so much think about it but to to feel it and to do that i i try to get them and what I do is I'll, I'll put my hand at the, the small of their back, kind of right above their, their pelvis. And I, I try to get them to feel how that pushes forward. When students execute a technique, you know, we want them to incorporate their, their whole body rather than just the leg. And I think, especially at this one, it's a common idea that we just want to you know make it look pretty shoot it out hold it up there depending on uh which version of the kick you're doing and make it look pretty but we also have to remember that tool are the main focus of tool or the main purpose is to teach combat we have to learn how to develop power we have to learn how to develop balance and the thing with this one is that if we're focused too much on the foot rather than where we develop the power then it becomes more an aesthetic rather than a a practical application no i agree with you i Mm -hmm. think over the years um in as far as competition is concerned that we it can become robotic in a way right Mm -hmm. posing those techniques and let's say the last few world championship i think the emphasis is really about how to develop power yes uh, Mm -hmm. as master wheatley would say grandmaster wheatley would say it's the ugliness of the technique is the beauty of the technique (laughs) and and so it's you know because it does look doesn't look pretty it's just like explosive and that's kind of the way uh, i think taekwondo should be demonstrating that power absolutely I think it's difficult for the students that are learning that concept or where to, where techniques are done. I think what you're talking about, it, it looks a little robotic, like the sine mm-hmm. wave where it might go down down really low. I think sometimes I teach it that way, you know, to, mm-hmm. to show them that you got to go down and you got to go up and then you got to go down. Students may not really fully understand that and if you have to exaggerate sometimes. I think mm-hmm. you have to do that, especially for the little children anyway, where it really should be more of a, I, in my opinion, I think it should be more of a natural movement. I think we all have sine wave regardless. When you're walking, you have a sine wave. Um, when you do any yes, kind sir. of physical activity, you mm-hmm. have this sine wave. That word sine wave to me is like over overkill. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a natural movement. And yeah, so that's that's my opinion on that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 
one of my areas of study is in martial art pedagogy, uh, education. And we've all heard the the idea of, you know, when you first learn a punch, it's just a punch. And then after you practice 10,000 times, it's no longer a punch. But after you practice it a million times, it's just a punch. That kind of concept is why, you know, we, we almost have to force the sine wave onto somebody and then gradually allow that to become their natural motion. Right. So in one of the theories that I, I do, I help develop, and I base this a lot on Kano Jigoro Osensei, the founder of Judo, and his pedagogy, is that you, you first learn the, the, the physical technique, and that's like the first layer or the first level of education in Taekwondo, and then you learn an artistic application of it. So the easiest way to explain that would be to, you know, a, a kicking combination. So depending on your size, your weight, your speed, your age, your uh, personal preference, maybe you use a, a consecutive side kick, side piercing kick. And maybe that's your preferred technique. Whereas someone like me, who's not very tall, you know, that, that's not a very practical technique for me. So we all learn the same foundational techniques, but then we move up and then we apply them personally. I think when we are learning things like sine wave, you know, we, we almost have to artificially put that into the student and then gradually let them remember, okay, this is, you can do this naturally. You, you have to force it, and then it, it becomes more natural to them. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the videos, like with uh, General Che, uh, there's a famous one where he's teaching there in Dosan. There's this big motion, this big circle that he's teaching with the, uh, the two punches. It's almost like that is the base idea, but then we have to kind of whittle it down, whittle it down into a smaller circle. And I've even heard a lot of traditional martial artists discuss martial art education as the understanding and practice of smaller and smaller and smaller circles. I don't know if I'm rambling here, so if I am, please, please stop me. When we talk about things like sine wave, I, it is a very natural motion. But at the same time, we, we almost have to unteach the natural motion and then reteach it. Right. I agree with that. I mean, you see like new students come in and if you don't tell them how to punch, you just say throw, throw a punch. And it looks like, yeah, it can maybe do somewhat damage. But then you start to tell them, okay, I'd like you to do it this way. And they can't mm-hmm. do it. Now, all of a sudden, they can't throw a punch anymore. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yes, they almost have to like, you want me to what? Okay, so I have to redo something. But mm-hmm. then after you do that, then you can actually have more power because of the way it's actually um, performed. Yes, sir. Would you say some of that is also because of people's, a student's natural physical ability? 
So, for example, throwing a punch is a very natural motion to some people, but others, they, the, they just don't it. have the coordination to do it. And then we have to kind of teach uh, a foundational knowledge and then expand upon it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I find when I have students that are gifted physically, right? They can do mm-hmm. stuff. Um, they never make it to black belt, <laughs> it seems like. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. the ones that struggle with that physical activity, you know, that physical capability, and they're working on it, and they end up being excellent black belts, and they have an amazing amount of power. I think that um, maybe they realize they have to work harder or something. I don't know. I definitely fall into that latter category. A uh, friend of mine, we, we often say to each other, everything we've learned in the martial arts, uh, we've had to fight and struggle to, to acquire. I, I think it's that part of the, the beauty of a martial art education is that, is that struggle and to find the, that we are able to do more than what we are expected or more of what we think we consider possible for ourselves. What's your thought, Ms. Kautowski? No, I, I think that's great. I think that's what keeps it interesting, too. You know, again, like the um, the younger, or the white belts, as you start, learn, you know, sometimes you learn it, again, in a more robotic way when you're loading back fist to back fist, you know, teach my students to put your back fist to back fist together. It's, and then as you progress, it's more of that that looser motion because everybody's body is different that looser mm-hmm. fist you know as you kind of get to black belt levels understanding that loose fist and then tightening at the end teach our students that at a younger level because it's kind of hard to understand and then that's what keeps you interested is when you get to that level then there's always something new to learn or to perfect on which i love about it and one of the things i found as you age, you also have to go back and relearn things, um, whether it's due to an injury or whether it's like, oh, okay, I'm suddenly 35 or I'm suddenly 40, and I can't do those jump spin techniques during um, sparring as I used to. So you have to reteach yourself and relearn your body, and that's part of the perpetual and continuous education of Taekwondo, which I personally love as well. How old are I, you, Mr. Johnson? I am 45. 45. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had to. You're I, not, I always not. get confused because who am I speaking to? Am I speaking to a Korean? Okay, if I'm Korean, <laughs> I'm 47. Uh, if I'm speaking to anyone else in the world, I am speaking, I'm 45. You're, in, you're not there either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm close. No, I'm you're, close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always kind of wonder about that as well. Uh, I obviously can't do certain things. I think a lot of it has to do with um, all the injuries I've had. I have two hip replacement, torn ACL. Those injuries really hampered me as far as training. It kind of started with my ACL injury where I was actually not able to jump or do a lot of pivoting on my left leg for about a year and a half. Lost a lot of flexibility just because of the injury before I decided to have the, um, the knee surgery, right? And you're not doing as much of that flexibility. You're not doing certain techniques. And that's true with when I had my hip replacement, that um, I'm not doing, I could try. I don't want to get it injured anymore. So yes. I wonder if that's true or is it just the lack of tr- 
training doing the same things over and over because i think over time what happens is if you're not doing something you do kind of lose it and yes, sir. it reminds me of um master grandmaster weiniger i don't know if you guys know of him yes sir he's um ninth degree now he trains with um grandmaster seraph many many years ago and i remember having him come out and i think at the time he's definitely older than i i am and he was still able to jump one jump hit five targets in the air and mm-hmm. he's not wow. he wasn't like 28 years old he was he came and did a seminar for me i think at least he might have been 35 40 years old maybe i don't know i don't remember but i i was like that's pretty good you know yes sir <laughs> five and so much i i agree that some of it is you know um physical injury the injuries that we have incurred some of it is also I, I at least from my personal experience i've never been a jumper you know i'm five foot four and i'm built like a hobbit when I jump, you know, a high jump for me is just kind of a hop for a normal person. I've never been very interested in practicing a lot of these very complicated or technical type jumping techniques. Well, you know, you're uh, definitely yes, taller than General Che. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how how tall was he, sir? Was he about? I think he was. Um, four foot eleven and i remember grandmaster sabri he was five foot mm-hmm. tall and he says oh, i was taller than general che i was like oh, okay <laughs> by an inch <laughs> when you're this height sir an inch really does matter <laughs> yeah but don't the uh, height shouldn't um has nothing to do with it general che is uh what's amazing he's uh you know well he was a general ruthless now would you say too i think um because I know Graymaster Wheatley has kind of touched upon that a little bit, talking about like the tiers of a cake, the, the groundwork, you know, mm-hmm. the middle section being more um, kicks and punches, everything from the ground, and then the top tier being the flying, jumping kicks that maybe mm-hmm. are not quite as practical, I'd say. But yeah, but it's, uh, it's interesting. I think everybody kind of has their own uh, mobility. And, you know, again, like if you're going to work on something to perfect that, I guess whatever you put your focus into. Yeah. And and so much of the the beauty I think of Taekwondo is that there is so much for us to do. The overall goal is to become a master of it all. Ultimately, due to age and I think Master Ju, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I've I've heard that the reason why the original Kodong was replaced by Ju Cheto is because that's kind of when you are at your physical prime. One of the reasons why these new techniques in you know, 1980, 1982, the reason why it was introduced at this level at, in the curriculum is because, okay, this is where people should be at their physical prime. Right. Uh, that's the way General Che um, explains it, right? So there was a couple, there were some techniques that were not in any of their tools. Mm-hmm. And so then he created a new pattern at the time called it Juche. Yes, sir. I heard that he was thinking about being in a fifth degree black belt pattern, fifth dance, so mm. those that were fifth dance, but also realizing that fifth dance are going to be older. And that's not so much true today. I mean, you have second degrees mm-hmm. that are, what, 14 years old? I think um, 
that's the minimum age in the ITF is 14, I believe it is. Yes, sir. But if you look back probably 20 or 30 years ago, we didn't have that, that young of a group. I mean, by the time I was a second degree, I was already probably, I don't know, 20, maybe 23, 24, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it was definitely older. When you're in your 20s, I think physically you males peak out at um, 28 or 29 physically. Mm-hmm. And females peak out at 18, I believe it is. That's what they. That's what I've heard. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't peaked yeah. yet. No. no, you have not. <laughs> Physical capability. Although when I hit 50, I felt like I was in better shape than I've, I've ever been. But I don't know. And some of it, uh, going back to what you're saying, is also just the, the person's natural physicality. You know, if you are a naturally athletic kind of person, then yes, you can be in your 50s and hit your your five targets before you drop and that's, touch the ground. That's true. I mean, you've got guys that are like 70 years old running marathons still, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not running and a marathon. I, I admire those people, but I also have realized that's not that's not what I've been given as far as my body is concerned. For me, rather than focus on the athletic stuff where I could, you know, sustain even a, more injuries, as I mentioned to you, sir, a few days ago, I'm recovering from a, a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Right. Um, I'm just happy to be 45 and walking. <laughs> How did you hurt your leg? <laughs> it was a just a kind of a stupid accident i i really wish i could tell you that it was taekwondo related no it's um, never taekwondo <laughs> it's I mean, yeah i did dislocate it about 12 years ago on the 360 degree jump uh in uh, uh Chungmuto. the initial injury happened when i did that on a uh in Korea, in the Hapkido schools, there's a we don't have the puzzle mats. We we kind of have a, a vinyl tarp over some soft cushiony material. Right. Too and grippy. so when I, yes, sir. And so when I landed on that technique, one part of my leg went in one direction, the other one went in the other, and my kneecap uh, uh. went in two different. Yeah, <laughs> it decided where it wanted to go. And then uh, in last year in August, I got hit from behind. And when I stepped, uh, I was on a hill and it, it tweaked the knee. Everything went cr- snap, crackle, and pop. And then I just got up and walked to the hospital. Can I ask one quick question? Sure. So I am in the middle of a research project. And one of the parts of that is trying to understand what we still have to to do with taekwondo general che often said that he didn't complete taekwondo he in fact i heard like he only said uh he had completed about 80 percent of the whole curriculum and so my question that i've been asking a lot of seniors is if general che was here today what would you ask him if he was here today well I don't think I've mastered what he's taught us, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a lot. But if you're talking about self-defense, maybe there are some areas that we could work on a little bit more. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't cover it, right? Right? Like ground mm-hmm. fighting, he, he covers yes. it in encyclopedia. It's not a lot in detail. I think um, 
maybe those areas could be. I think a lot of people do other martial arts to to supplement that. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that there could be, but for me, I don't think of myself as having to, I only know just a little bit, just training. Mm. All I can do is maybe share what I know about Taekwondo with people and hopefully other people will be able to be inspired and continue that as well. Uh, President Che, I think is his goal is to continue his dad's legacy. I think he's doing yes, a great job. I think the mere fact that he was able to go to South Korea and um, mm -hmm. bring the art back, introduce it that mm -hmm. way. I think a lot of people don't give him a lot of credit for that. I agree. He's a really, uh, in my opinion, I think he's a really humble person, very knowledgeable. I just really do enjoy talking to him and listening to what he has to say. Yes, sir. I, I remember the first time I met him, and I believe this was in 2001. Living in South Korea, I've been on the floor with very, very senior masters in many different styles. But President Che, there's the there's the idea, you know, there there's a master, and then there's a master. When you're on the floor with him, you you know what you can feel his presence, you can feel his knowledge, and more than that, I think you can feel his love for the art and to help people develop through the art. It's something that I truly cherish anytime I'm around him. Well, thank you for joining back into Tool World. Uh, we hope that you guys appreciated the conversation that we had. If you guys had any questions or comments, uh, make sure to leave it on our Facebook page. And yeah, anything else, Master Drew? I want to thank... Um Ms. Katowski and Mr. Johnson for jumping in and helping us out with this podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank well, you very much. Thank you, sir. Yes. Yes. Thank we, you very we much definitely for have having to do us. it again. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> What's our tagline there, David? Be safe. Keep training. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Take one. <laughs> Take, Take one. one. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope to see you next time.